Deadly Ed acknowledges the traditional custodians throughout Australia and their continuing connection to country, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and recognise their continuing connection and contribution to this land and Aboriginal education. On this week's Deadly Dose, I'm joined by Brendan Moore from the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney's Community Greening Team. I yarn with Brendo about his experience of Aboriginal Ed growing up and what's changed, the importance of native plants and gardens for all ages, plus his career combining horticulture and education. This is episode four. This is The Deadly Dose. Welcome back to another episode of The Deadly Dose. Uh, my name's Josh Brown, but unfortunately no uh, partner in crime today. Uh, Quartz isn't with us, um, just got a wisdom teeth out, so uh, wishing her all the best with that recovery. But instead, uh, we've got uh, a pretty deadly fella um, and a great uh, ally of mine, great uh, person to work with and just a good bloke all around. Uh, Brendo Moore. Welcome, brother. How are you, brothers? <laughs> Going very well. I know. It's been, uh, it has been a while uh, since we uh, fortunately got to work together at the gardens. But uh, look, great to have you on. It's been, it's been wonderful to see all your stuff on social media. And I know I haven't worked with you, you know, uh, professionally or personally, like together to collaborate with. I've seen all the stuff you've done on social media and I feel like as if, you know, that's one solid aspect of how not only Aboriginal people but also the schools that you work with and also, you know, other um, education departments being able to see the the importance of Aboriginal education and the connection between culture, um, people and plants that you've, that you've you know, that Deadly Ed's in, embedded into starting to embed in, into schools. So it's fantastic. Yeah, cheers, mate. It's, um, look, Obviously, uh, just just taking out all the expertise that uh, all you fellas uh, were able to <laughs> pass on to me, yeah. Um, and you know, for those who didn't know, uh, Brendo is definitely a part-time uh, video producer on the side. So if you haven't seen any of his content, uh, definitely go check out all of his great video content pieces, all about learning about culture or the Didge, another Deadly Didge player. Um, obviously, we do love Deadly Didge players. So yeah, if you're looking for a Deadly Didge player <laughs> at your next event. <laughs> that could be that could be a, a kind of a, an attachment to Deadly Ed. could be Deadly Ed and then Deadly Didge player. Yeah, Deadly Didge. There you go. De- Deadly Didge with Brendan Moore. 100%. Um, look, tell us a little bit about yourself and who's your mom, mate. Yeah, so um, uh, I was born in, in Newcastle and um, and my family's a, a, a Simons from, from Taree. My grandmother's dead. Yep. <laughs> a shark mob. And um, even though I look like a bit of a wombat, a hairy nose one, <laughs> I always tell people that. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I get to visit. Um, within the program that I work for, uh, community greening program from the Royal Botanic Gardens is, um, you know, to be able to not only go back to my own country and connect with, you know, my, you know, my ancestors' community and, and then feel that, that sand and soil, you know, on my feet and be able to look up and down and around, 
you know, and, and just really connect to, to home. But, you know, I live on the Central Coast and, and, and that's where I call home now. But, um, uh, yeah, that's that's me. I'm, uh, you know, as you said before, Dilly Ditch player and, you know, I'm passionate about passionate about gardening. I'm passionate about sharing people's knowledge um, on gardening or in the garden and be able to transfer transfer that into another garden, being part of that shared knowledge because sometimes, you know, our community gardeners or communities or even schools are unable to kind of share that knowledge because, yep. you know, they're, they're so busy and they've got so much on their plate mm-hmm. um, but they but they can't share that knowledge. So, you know, where they're kind of that almost like that centre of a, of a seesaw, being able to lift up one side to then, you know, uh, bring that knowledge down to the to the next. And, yep. and um, yeah, that's what I'm very passionate about. All right, you want to tell us a bit about your own, I guess, professional career in horticulture and, and bush tuck and native plants and a little bit about your, your current role there at the Botanic Gardens in Sydney. I'm part of the Royal Botanic Gardens Community Greening Program and Community Greening is a outreach program from the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney and what we do is we help support social and community housing, create greener spaces so that could be veggie gardens, herb gardens, uh, bush tucker gardens, um, and then connecting people through plants. So there could be ongoing workshops with worm farms, composting, um, also you know, using your produce in the garden to come up with different recipes. And pretty much the, the, um, the options are endless once we create a community garden. And even sometimes it's not even evolved around, around food, it's more about the social aspect of getting people out um, of their, you know, one bedroom unit or their small space where, where they live, but also, you know, being able to grow produce uh, on the, the surroundings of where they live, but also working with other tenants and, and the community greening program also with work with uh, other housing services and we're state funded. So we work across uh, the states or work in places like, um, you know, Sydney, uh, Central Coast, Newcastle, Coffs Harbour, um, Ballina, and then going inland to places like Dubbo, um, Brewarrina, Burke, Angonia, and Lightning Ridge. Um, and uh, we also have a, a youth community greening program where where we will, you know, practice that same element of social um, planting and creating greener spaces and the hot kind of um you know, uh, I guess gardens that obviously you know is creating bush tucker gardens or sensory gardens that have evolved around native plants and being able to you know multi-use those 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 uh, those plants with either food, uh, medicine, tool making, um, artwork, uh, music, and you know it's it's endless. Being able to to create a a garden space for a student or for you know a tenant to be able to kind of engage with plants, whether if it's something that they're eating, something they're using for um, uh, an element of therapeutic horticulture or gardening, um, and even just walking through and having those plants brush up against you, is that's a, you know, using our our sensory elements of connecting to, to plants. And so with both the community greening side of things and youth community greening that works with kids and, and schools, is that, able to be accessed by anyone and everyone in New South Wales or is there like certain groups or certain demographics? Yeah, certain. So the the Youth Community Greening Program can only work with uh, low socioeconomic 
schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not kind of blocking out the schools that we can't work with. It's just the amount of time. Um, and, and, um, yeah, so we'll, so we'll work with, with, uh, with students that are from low socio, low socioeconomic backgrounds, um, and within the schools. So to create these, these green spaces and edible gardens, um, for, you know, for schools that have, um, that are kind of have a less, um, uh, how would I? Yeah, so for those who might not be aware, schools, uh, certainly throughout New South Wales, uh, are all based on a family occupation and education index rating. So that gives your school a rating based on all those different key aspects of uh, family income, educational background, but then also of the area as well. And as Breno said, the amount of not just money, but also resources and I guess other things that are available to that community or wherever that school is located, that also takes into account into the FOE rating, all right? Mm. So um, in saying that, what Breno is saying is that your school has to have a, a fairly high rating and the lower the rating equals um, basically the, the more income and resources are available for that school. Uh, whereas the higher the rating is the less. So you're, I guess the, it's sort of like one is the top, anything below that is obviously going below. So that's how to um, gauge that one for those listening. <laughs> if you're wondering what's he talking about, um, that's a little explainer for that one. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, no, that's right, mate. It's, uh, that's what I'm here to do, just uh, <laughs> make people – Ensure people know what's uh, what's being said, and um, that way, yeah, you're not getting inundated with a whole bunch of uh, private schools um, emailing you saying, <laughs> "Come to yep. my school, come to my school." Yep. You know, come, we, you come know, give me a free garden. We are a, um, you know, we're we're a program that that we kind of, you know, we want to be able to support all schools, yep. and and this knowledge that we hold and, and share, obviously, we want to, to, to go to all, all, all of our schools, but. Um, but um, you know, it's a shame that we can't. But it's but it's just the way how that how that program works. So, you know, if there's schools out there that we can't attend, you know, we can all you know we can share that knowledge on uh, you know online or through an email or connect them to a um, to a you know if they if they're looking for um, you know to creating a a, a bush tucker garden or or a landscaped area, then obviously we connect them with you or. Um, with other kind of um, Aboriginal enterprises such as Indigigrow and and uh, Wildflower as well. Yep. Yeah, and look, that's the thing. Like, there's plenty of real deadly uh, businesses that are always popping up. Aboriginal-owned and operated businesses that are, you know, certainly available to to create bushwhacker gardens and native plant spaces and just sensory uh, spaces as well. So, moving on, what Really wanted to, I guess, find out more about just Aboriginal education for you from growing up in Newcastle, obviously mob connected in with, with Tari and, and that area on Biripai country, but then I guess learning about how Aboriginal education for you has maybe it's either evolved or changed from when you were at school through to now and what are some of the things that you've seen and, and picked up along the way? Yeah, I, I um so 
so there's a there's a there's a couple of pieces I missed out there on where I on where I grew up. So I was born in Newcastle, and then three years old I moved to Warren at near Dubbo, and we're there for probably about six years. Um, and then we moved to uh, when I've completed year seven, I moved to uh, a country town called Wagga Wagga, and then after I'd finished school, went up to Toowoomba. But during those two places of Wagga Wagga and and Warren. The Aboriginal education, obviously, in primary school compared to high school were completely different. Whereas I remember in primary school, our our theory and practical element of Aboriginal education, I remember being in year, I think it was year six, and we're colouring in a piece of paper, and on the piece of paper was, um, I think there was two or three ships that were coming into shore, and then we'd see two Aboriginal people with a campfire holding a spear and boomerangs um, standing, um, just kind of uh, looking, just kind of, I guess they were, they looked like they were just observing on the ships that were coming in. Um, and then that was it. That was our theory. So we would colour that in. That was our kind of, our, I guess, a practical element. I don't know. I didn't learn anything from that. I just yeah. saw people standing on there. And that was... I didn't feel like as if it was some if it was a culture that was come from Australia. We weren't kind of taught that. We were just kind yep. of given a stencil to colour in, and mm-hmm. then and then some ships that, that were coming. Yeah, so we kind of coloured that in, and then we went out to the paddock um, at the back. Um, so the in Warren, we had a small like low fences back then, and, and uh, we used the, the I remember the school just calling it a paddock <laughs> so, with a couple of footy posts. So we went out to the paddock and then I remember this Aboriginal man coming in that I've never met before um, that would come in and teach us how to throw boomerangs and spears and then we had some damper, um, which I think, yeah. you know, I think, I think it was good feed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was the rating for that damper, like uh, an 8 out of 10? I don't know. Like we were just sort of like we were just hungry kids. We just wanted to yeah. We're just like, I don't we get what it is. Like we've been wowed by this fire and being able to yeah. come from a fire um yeah we never had that had that um experience maybe some of the other students did because their parents probably took them out camping yeah on on the weekends you know our kind of our kind of way of you know we would just play sport on the weekend we were sporty kids you know playing rugby league and playing soccer um and i remember this fella coming in and cooking up some some damper and we were just all wowed by it because (laughs) it was almost like you know hey i'm aboriginal i'm here to deliver an Aboriginal um, practical element. We're going to throw some boomerangs and spears and cook damper. So that's how we, in a primary school, we thought that's what Aboriginal people do. Yeah. Throw spears, yeah. throw boomerangs and eat damper. And then I just thought, wow, you know, what a what a really cool, um, a really cool way of, or, yeah, I thought it was really fun. And mm. I guess that's what the teachers were trying to do. We're trying to implement fun and a practical element as part of that culture. We've come a long way since then, you know. Um, uh, so then when I went to – actually, it's, it's funny, this, like in Warren it's such a high population of, of Aboriginal community and um, I guess through our school and then also through our, to- our town, um, Aboriginal people were seen in a, in a different way and I kind of didn't see that until I got older. But when I was younger, you know um, – uh, we were kind of treated differently and and but when I and 
I remember being in primary school, obviously a lot of people are kind of traumatized by their, by their education, whether if it's from a teacher, from students, or even from their environment, but I was traumatized by other students. So, mm. so, um, I used to have a, a stutter when I was a kid and people saw that as an easy target. So then I was, right. and I would be bullied for that. But when I got to high school in, in Wagga, people were actually scared of Aboriginal people because, right. because, um, I guess, I guess there were, there were people would just make up assumptions and, and stories. And then, you, you know, you've seen me, I don't have a six pack, but <laughs> people just assume that Aboriginal people had six packs. Yeah. And then if you had a six pack, you were like athletic and you were cool and you were tough. Just, just a God. But I, and I came from this school where I'd get picked on almost every day. And then I yeah. go to a high school where I was feared. Right. And, but I didn't take that as a, as a, as a sense of power. Mm. I saw that as a, as a sign of weakness, you know, mm. that, that, um, you know, it made me feel good because I wasn't getting picked on anymore. But, but, um, but when I would go into high school, people were fearful of me just because of my nationality, being Aboriginal. Right. Um, and then our Aboriginal education in, in high school was more of a field trip. So, so, if we were to learn about Aboriginal culture, it was more of that same practical element of going out and almost kind of segregating us from from the school and taking Aboriginal people out and putting them into a program where obviously these programs are trying to benefit Aboriginal people by we learn on how to do our own resume. You know, we learn on on um yeah, self self awareness and, and health and well being, which is really good. But it would have been nice to be able to do that in the school or to take, yeah. you know, one of your non Aboriginal friends to come with you so they can learn about that because when we would be segregated and then we'd come back then my friends would say oh where did you go i said i went on an aboriginal excursion so then they think oh well he goes on the excursion because he's aboriginal mm. so then, there, then comes that segregation from my friends so then they think oh you're aboriginal and you get special treatment yeah. well you know it's part of my self-development you know all of my friends had jobs before me all my non-aboriginal people friends had um had jobs before me so because they knew how to do a resume whereas i didn't um and all those other things that are that 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 kind of are connected to that that it's that it's um you know the reason why we, we were kind of segregated and taken away to teach us these these um you know these skills these life skills mm-hmm. whereas it shouldn't be it shouldn't be programs to teach us those life skills it should be our schools teaching us those life skills you know teachers know how to do resumes that's how they apply for their jobs why can't they just why can't they teach students on how to do resumes and you know, self-awareness and self and health and well-being and, you know, it's not to put that pressure on the teachers, but that was one kind of solid aspect I got from those kind of one of those trips and yep. and to be able to make my own resume to talk myself up because Aboriginal mm-hmm. people, you know, we're, when we're kind of communal-based, we're all about kind of, you know, um, sharing positivity and lifting other people up, but ourselves. But we're expecting other people to do that for us. Whereas, you know, other kind of cultures are, are like that. They're more about um, chasing that dollar, getting the big house, getting the big car, and being competitive and and um, you know uh, pushing everyone else down so then we can have ourselves up. Whereas, you know, I guess that's where that's where our kind of the cultures clash 
but we try, it's almost like you know with the western culture you've got a hierarchy system so let's give a school for for example you've got a principal then you've got you know i don't know how it works vice principals then you've got staff yeah. and teachers then you've got teachers yeah. then slso's and all that stuff and i understand the structure of that and it's important to have that structure but in aboriginal culture you've got a circle where you've got mm. elders and you've got and it's still the same way it's still, yep. it's still the same teaching but it's more of a communal it's more of a circle so trying to fit a circle inside of a triangle mm. is a struggle so so having those two and that's why they've created these you know these programs to kind of uh to get those students out like myself of the school and giving programs of you know of athletes of you know of um um yeah sports and and you know creating your own resume and and you know um uh social aspects of being able to to you know apply for jobs go for interviews and uh and all that so i guess you know in a way our our connection our connection between aboriginal people and plants um was very minimal when i was going to school because it was boomerangs and and spears in primary school then high school there was no plant element it was more about you know how can how how are you going to survive in this world right so it's just about life skills life basically skills. okay yeah it's it's, it's interesting cuz i think look there's there's many aboriginal people that have gone for that same, very similar experience same exact same for me um you know when you're growing up and schools are putting in programs where it's like oh no we'll take all the aboriginal students out to this program i think that's not the issue that's not the actual problem the problem is that there's no explanation to the rest of the students or to the rest of the school as to why that's happening and yeah. so therefore a lot of kids will get this assumption of oh well they just they get out of class because they're black you know whereas that's not the case but there's no explanation right and mm. the schools and the teachers right and particularly principals deputy principals you need to be explaining this to the whole school and so the whole school community understands why this particular thing is happening but that that isn't happening right mm. well, it certainly didn't happen um sounds like when you and i were at school that's for sure and yeah that, that's why there is this there's often these kind of very much misconceptions about special treatment or or that you're getting out of class as if like you're going out of class just to just sit around and just play on your phone like it's not that's not what's happening at all like you're still learning but you're doing a different type of learning and mm-hmm. learning that's particular to your culture so i think yeah we're definitely not saying that it's bad to do those types of programs i think they're great and it's yeah. awesome to get your aboriginal students together um, and I think that's a really crucial part of growing up is to making sure, particularly if you've got Aboriginal kids that might move from a different area, to connect them in with other Aboriginal kids in the school. I think that's, that is that is crucial. But if you're doing programs like that, you need to really communicate and explain and be transparent with everyone as to what it is, what are yeah. those students doing when they're and obviously, And obviously even that's going to be hard because, like, I guess for the school to say it's important for them to share that information, you know, but also, but also, it's kind of like almost you don't want to, you know, put these students um, uh, in in a situation where they're kind of 
segregated and to say that, okay, well, the reasons why we're doing this is because, you know, um, we need to boost their um, um, health and well-being and whatever whatever it is. We don't yeah. want to, to target them and say, you know, this is Brendan. He doesn't doesn't have a job. So we're going to build his resume skills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then then other students are going to go, well, don't you know how to do a resume? Gee, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, oh, so he gets special treatment. Yeah. That's you know, all. But it, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's never ending. But, it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, in a school system, no matter if you're Aboriginal or not, you're still going to have, everyone's got a different way of learning. And, and if we go back to our grassroots where, where, you know, Deadly Ed and, and the Botanic Gardens Community Greening Program are, are, are connecting, you know, students and schools to plants, then we're able to, you know, to pick up where, where people are kind of left behind. Mm-hmm. And, some, and, and it's even taking people away from that school or that, that living situation and out into a garden and talking about that process because yeah. sometimes you know teachers are missing out or or um, families are missing out on 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 these gaps where where they're not kind of uh, you know where we kind of need to be picked up from. What I really wanted to pick your brains about, Brendo, today, and I think a lot of people want to know more about from you is, well, why do you feel? learning about bush tucker is so important for all kids and adults yeah i think um i think you know i've seen the impacts of of um of bush tucker you know being being um you know delivered in into schools as a as as a program or or as a garden sense or as an art workshop or or a food element or tool and medicine and it's something that our, I guess, you know, when bringing anything that's bush tucker related into a school, you get the whole school. Like if you're at an assembly and you're talking about these native plants, the students are just look like you've got the whole school of possum eyes. They're so mm. interested. You, you, like, you couldn't, like, you'd be able to hear a pin drop. They're so intrigued by Aboriginal people and our history of, of how we kind of lived, not survived, but lived on on native plants and some of the uses of them, and they and they grasp onto that knowledge. I remember going into a school and creating a, a bush tucker garden, and then I would talk about the Aboriginal uses and some of the uses I use it for. And this is something that I practice within schools, or when I used to work in schools and and practicing this this element, I'm passing this knowledge on, and it's verbal, you know, and I. And I'd like to spend more time in schools and creating films and getting students to kind of share that knowledge and keeping that knowledge for the school to have to pass on to the you know next generation of students. But then when I would go back to visit that school to help them do a working bee or do another workshop, then the students will then kind of each share something with me that they've learned before. And it's whether if it's one or two things, you know, and we know that these students are kind of, their minds are like sponges depending on their age. When they're in, into their teenage years, they've got a lot of other stuff happening, but, you know, they're still able to hold on to that, that either that bush food, um, that medicine or that tool making and, and sharing that experience, they're able to then carry that on to the next generation or carry it on out into their community or, or other teachers or even other staff that are in that, in that school. And, um, you know, in some of the schools that I go to, they, they do a fantastic job on, on connecting culture into their, 
into their school by having a room and it's filled up full of Aboriginal artefacts and Aboriginal drawings and paintings that the students have done and, and being able for those students to then feel like as if, you know, they're in a safe cultural learning space, but also that room is also open for other students to come in and, and see, you know, some of that some of that culture and, and feel like as if it's almost like a museum to them, you know, um, to be able to walk into a, in, into a classroom and go, wow, look at all these artefacts. Well, you know, and see another student say, oh, you know, see that artwork? I did that. And that's my, you know, they share, they're proud of their element of, of culture and their, and their connection to the country. And it's almost like we're looking for that validation of, say, of our friends going, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really cool. That's deadly. But it's, you know, it's something that, and that's going to um, distill our confidence within our students growing up because they're practising not just, you know, throwing spears and boomerangs, they're, they're practising elements of, of, of art and, and storytelling and connection to country. And that's that's something that we've lost, in, especially in my generation, of of that connection to country, but we're slowly building that back up. And for someone like myself be able to share that knowledge and that connection to schools and, and, and to our communities for them to pass on and to feel like as if they're not being judged, um, but they're proud. And whether if they are being judged, it doesn't matter because they that's their connection to country and, you know, no one can, can take that away from them. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and it's so true as well that that simple thing of just getting our just hands into a space to create something it might seem as simple as a garden actually means so much more than just putting plants into the ground. But I guess on that topic, what would you say would be your favourite native plant? Ooh. So my favourite native plant, I, I learnt a lot about when I, during my apprenticeship and, and other plants kind of take over my favourite one during the years because I find different ways on how to use them. Yeah, my favourite yeah. native plant is the grass tree, which used to be called the black boy, mm -hmm. um, but now that's politically incorrect. And the reasons why they called it black boy is because, um, you know, when botanists would discover um, the grass tree, they would see this a black stump with a grass skirt and it's holding a spear. And, um, and traditionally, some of our Aboriginal boys would actually stand on one leg holding a spear so it looks like a black boy. But, you know, that's that's where that came from. And this is the reason why I love this plant is because I know a lot about this this grass tree. And and one of the other reasons why I love it is because, um, so the sap inside of the grass tree is called a resin. And that resin in in the, the resin has an Aboriginal name um, and it's called Yakka. And that language comes from the Sydney area, the Aura country, and Yakka was used as a glue. And we also have a... A Australian uh, workwear brand called Hard Yakka. So, ooh, ah, Hard Yakka. Hard yakka. <laughs> so there, there's that element. So, Aboriginal people would use that, that hard glue, hard glue, that, that Yakka, mix it in with sand and soil and glue together their stone to wood or, you know, bone to wood to make spears and, and other implements. Um, and also, the grasses were used for making weave to weave ba uh, baskets and dilly bags. And also the spearhead was used for boys to learn how to spear because when they throw it into water to spear a fish, it's so um, fibrous and aerated that it would, um, it would float, the spear would float. Yeah, and also another great use of that uh, that spear, the fire sticks, fire starting. 
uh, or making a fire certainly. Um, but I think they're just just really cool to see. Like you'll go to some places and they're just everywhere, um, mm. and it's they're very prominent plant. Um, but I guess the caution that if you want to go down the path of putting a a grass tree in your house, in your school, in your workplace, um, just a bit of a warning on price. Definitely not yes. the cheapest. <laughs> no, um, there are a lot of nurseries and also specialised nurseries that sell grass trees. Um, make sure you speak to your um, nursery provider on how to plant and what soil conditions. And also um, there's a bit of a fire element to that plant once planting in, into there to um, to increase those um, those growing hormones within the plant because it's in... As soon as you take out a plant out of a ground, out of a pot, it's in shock. So once putting it back into the ground, it's obviously going to be in shock again. So we want to be able to make these plants feel like as if they're at home and, you know, we're there just to support and nurture them. If you're going to spend, if you're going to spend so much money on, on, a, on a grass tree to put in your garden, make sure you take the time um, to learn about how to look after that plant. So what is the, I guess, correct or the the main kind of soil that they like, the grass trees are like? Well, like our, if you look out into the uh, our environment where you see them naturally growing, you've got sandy sandy kind of uh, sandy loam soils um, and you've got natural um, uh, almost like compost in a way, decomposed leaves and, and Australian native plants and bark and wood chip and also you know, encouraging their their growth is obviously fire. So Aboriginal people would practice that, those cool burns, those light burns or culture burns and and um, encouraging these native plants to grow, uh, developing their root systems or even bursting out their, their seeds from their flower heads to then um, yeah, germination of our native plants through seeds. So, yeah, sandy, sandy soil. I wouldn't just put in 100% sand, otherwise you're going to totally. <laughs> um, yeah, just depending on where that, where that, um, what the soil condition that plant's already got in it. So it could come from inland soil, or it could become coastal. So just yeah, as I said, just speak to your local uh, nursery provider and, and get that in, that that kind of information from them. And let's get a bit of sun. Lots of sun. If you want their flower, yep. lots of sun. They do live in the shade, but they thrive in sun. Yep. There you go. More more plant tips from uh, from Brendan Moore. Just chuck Free them on Chuck them on yep. out in the atmosphere. Yep. There you go. Spear of knowledge. That's what he's Spear all about. Uh, Brendo, got an interesting book, video, or podcast that uh, that you've certainly either seen, heard. Um, listen to uh, that you'd recommend to learn more about culture? Um, the only time I've been kind of interested in reading books is when I was at uni because I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Before an assignment was due. Yep. I was, yeah, that's right. I was never kind of um, encouraged to read books as a, as a kid. So I've never had that passion or been in that element of being able to be take myself away by reading a book. You yep. know, I'm, I feel like as if when I'm reading a book, I have to read it. So, right. um, books, like is, books is something that's that's something that I kind of struggle um, to do or mm-hmm. read. Um, you know, podcasts. Um, there's a, there's there's a heap of them. Like I I just search in I just put in the search column Aboriginal in podcasts, and there's a whole range of um, 
of podcasts to um, to listen to. The thing about I like the reason why I like just typing in just that that one word Aboriginal is because there's so many different topics that are related to that and 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 the thing is is that not every Aboriginal people has a, has the same story. Mm. So when I type in Aboriginal, when I just pick on a random podcast, I like to listen in and tune into into different people's stories and their connection to country or their experiences and yeah, you know, as an Aboriginal person or you know where they live or their family. And, um, and, but I, I guess what's really stuck with me, um, is a, is a movie. And I remember watching Rabbit Proof Fence and yeah. that's, that, that's a, that's a movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a go-to. It's something that, that you should, that you should really, um, watch and observe and kind of take in without being kind of judgmental. Um, I remember when it first came out, went to the movies and I went and seen it when I was living in Miranda and, um, and, uh, I went with my sister. I went on the weekend and there was no one in there, just me and my sister. And I thought, oh, is there something else on? But I think it was just because because it was about Aboriginal people. Um, people weren't really kind of in that world. Right. In Miranda. It was in the yeah. suburbs. Yeah. So, um, I guess the, the thirst for cultural knowledge or even our, even our history, our true, like one of the stories, that's one story part mm. of our history that's kind of, um opening you know uh opening i guess our, our wound to show you know what's what's been happening and that's a really great movie on you know on about the stolen generation and about survival and about um incarceration it's about um you know wiping out uh wiping out a a, a culture through our connection to country through our laws through our dance through our language and kind of being forced to assimilate in in um in employment but mm -hmm. being em employed as not as in like a same you know in the same way as uh non-aboriginal non people would be you know receive income would be like you would get paid in in food but it would be in flour and sugar and yeah. those were those were like you know i guess that's good in a way but also it was quite detrimental to Aboriginal people because that wasn't part of our diet. So you'd get a lot of um, Aboriginal people where, that would, you know, have um, ongoing um, health issues such as, you know, diabetes and being overweight and, you know, our, our, our normal um, food element would be fruits and nuts and, and then meat. So meat wouldn't be something we would have on our table, whereas now, or well, when I was a kid, we'd have um, meat and three veg and that was like a good dinner. Mm. <laughs> uh, one piece of advice for someone want, someone wanting to embed culture into their organisation more or better. I think you know I I see I see teachers doing a really good job. You know they they you know they're going over their limits to be able to you know bring something in, and I, and I also see non-Aboriginal um, teachers being able to kind of, you know, be step out of their comfort zone and put themselves into an element where they're trying to uh, embed Aboriginal culture within their school and they're not even Aboriginal. So they're kind of, you know, they're doing two things. They're trying, they're trying to uh, embed that culture into the school, but also they're wanting to learn. And then, you know, I'm hoping that the students don't see that, like, you know, that's a... It's a way of um, 
of uh, assimilating that I don't want these students to feel like as if they're assimilating by non-Aboriginal people teaching them Aboriginal mm. content. And I know that there'll be other Aboriginal teachers out there that be thinking, well, it should only be an Aboriginal person teaching that com um, content. This is true. And, but have this non-Aboriginal teacher to be that centre of that pathway, that centre of that spider web, being able to connect people from the community, other, you know, businesses such as Deadly Head and our outreach program and Wildflower and DigiGrow and being able to, to bring everyone together because, I mean, it would be excellent if we had, um, you know, Aboriginal, um, all schools had AEOs, Aboriginal education officers and, and Aboriginal teachers within their schools teaching Aboriginal content but that's something that we just don't have in every school. So we need to have the school to then be the center of that spider web and bring in all those resources of, of, of business and programs and members of the community, our elders to come in and, and share, share that knowledge and that, and that culture. And, and almost, you know, as I said before, having the school, having a, um, having that cultural museum, that classroom where, where there's Aboriginal students being proud of their, their knowledge. Let's turn that classroom into the actual school and then having like creating cultural garden learning sensory spaces that are out, actually at the front of the school where the school's proud of having that culture coming in. It's the first thing that people see and it's acknowledging, you know, you don't have to have a written acknowledgement in front of the school. You could have a native sensory garden where it's turning into a yarning space. It's a multi-use space, but it's something that the school has connected our, um, our, our community and local businesses in creating this space together. So therefore you've got not only parents, but you've got local businesses in that surrounding um, towns and suburbs and cities that know that that, that school has a, uh, you know, has, a, has moved forward into, into Aboriginal education and, and wanting to be able to use that space. So not only just to sit down and have a yarn up and have, you know, men's and women's business, but also, you know, being able to have, uh, our teachers to be able to teach cultural content in there and also our community and Aboriginal business be able to come in and, and even showcase their, um, their performances. Or if you've got like, you know, uh, for example, like if you've got Bangara or, or an Aboriginal dance company or an Aboriginal performance company coming in and wanting to showcase it to a school, have the school as a, as an audience, a first time audience to say, Hey, you know, come in here and share part of your culture. Um, we want our students to learn more. Um, if you have, uh, you know, uh, an Aboriginal, like a new dance or or um, or a new program you'd like to run for the school, please do it here. Like we'd love to be that um, that notice board. We'd love to be be that school to be able to share your content, and then that way that business and that and and that program is able to advertise by using that for their first performance. Um, but then also the students are learning a whole, a whole lot more of, 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 of culture, of dance, of music, of art, of food, um, and all of our aspects that, that kind of connect Aboriginal people to, to, um, to Aboriginal culture. Yeah. It's sort of taking that approach of, you know, I guess within our schools or any workplace, we don't necessarily have to do everything ourselves that we can just be the connector. Mm. Uh, between or the supporter of other external people and businesses that can come in and provide expertise as well and we can just be a supporter of them rather than us trying to have to feel like we have to teach our students every single 
thing of what they're mm. going to learn about throughout years, you know, from kindergarten through to year 12. It doesn't have to be all, all ourselves. Final question, Brendo. Um, if you were a school principal or a company CEO tomorrow, so if, if Denise just said, look, Brendo, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm out of here tomorrow. You're up. <laughs> <laughs> I look, I'll need a whole pack of nappies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what would be one new initiative you'd introduce to staff around culture? Um, I think like what's important uh, for me and what I've seen before here that's that's really worked is um, is the uh, is for staff to to see and observe and also to be part of a cultural practice and our cultural practice, whether if it's traditional or if it's modern. Um, of you know, dance, food, culture, um, storytelling and music, but being able to have that as a cultural practice and being able to pass that on to non-Aboriginal people and, or to our staff members or to our schools, um, but also sharing that knowledge, not just, not just saying, here we're going to dance, this is how you're going to do it, but talk about where those dances come from and, um, and how we learn to dance and sharing that knowledge, that knowledge and that skill and being able to pass it on, but also be inclusive and be our, have our staff members to be, to be part of that process. And, and I do feel like our schools and the botanic gardens are doing a fantastic job in doing that in through our education system and also our events. Um, but, but I feel like as if, you know, cultural practice isn't something that's kind of like a ticker box. It's something that should be just practiced every day and I know that's that's difficult to hear and say because we're you know I've still got to put I've still got to pay my you know my mortgage I've still got to put yeah. fuel in my car and I still need to put dinner on my, on my table so I do need to have that you know have a job to be able to do that or be employed yeah. um but you know if we're if we're trying our hardest that's all we can ask for or that's all I can ask for is is that we're still kind of um, embed that cultural practice and um, and those elements of 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 that cultural practice is something that I would be encouraging with schools and and, and businesses um, to be part of well look I um, I've certainly appreciated you coming on today and just sharing all these great uh, bits of wisdom spears of wisdom. Um, as you normally do and look I've certainly learned a lot from you over the years and I'm sure look many of us uh, have learned a lot from you just from today and 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 all the communities and schools that you get to go out to um, across New South Wales so yeah look just want to say uh, yeah big Malambu big thank you for coming on today brother uh, I really appreciate it well, thanks for having me and yeah likewise Josh you know I've learned so much from you in in the past and and I'll also be inspired by the stuff that you put out onto social media and it kind of, you know, it does inspire me, but also I see it and I think, wow, like, you know, this is another fellow that's kind of encouraging, um, you know, schools to be more involved and connected uh, to plants and, and you can see them really having a really great time, you know, these students and teachers wanting to learn more and do more. So, you know, what you're doing out there is fantastic. Nah, cheers, mate. Um, really appreciate it. And, look, if you want to, I guess, find out, Anything about what uh, Brendo and the team does with Community Greening, um, that's on the Royal Botanic Gardens website. So it's RBG, SID, 
something something <laughs> put it into google <laughs> that's the best also, way to find it we're also on um on facebook community greening nsw for new south wales um all of our team members are on uh most of our team members are on twitter we're on facebook we're on uh instagram and we try and share you know as much knowledge and 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 uh and, and photos and videos as possible to just just to get people kind of connected or, or be inspired to get out in their garden or in, into their green spaces and being able to kind of socialize and learn more and share more. That's it for this week's Deadly Dose. If you have a question about Aboriginal education that you'd like to be answered on our show, be sure to message us on any of our social platforms or by sending us an inquiry through our website at deadlyed.com.au. If you think this podcast is some of the deadliest stuff you've heard, please follow, share and leave us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on. Marangbu.